Matt, I just want to introduce him. He is one of our elders. He does so much for the fellowship. Him and his family uh, have been dear friends of my family for quite a few years now. And um, Pat, Linda, and the boys, uh, Josh and Jason, are just great blessings to our fellowship. You guys, we wouldn't be the church uh, we are without these guys involved because they are so, they have such a heart for the family, heart for men. Pat's been leading our men's ministry for quite a number of years. Um, his, his just could go on and on about their family unit and how they fear the Lord together and how they serve the Lord together. So it's one of those rare opportunities where I get to introduce Pat and say, um, by way of applause, that we can just give a brief moment to him and, and his family for all that they do for the fellowship. Okay, so let's go ahead and applaud now. It's, it's also fun because I can make you cry at me the, the drop of a hat. <laughs> Anytime I want to see tears, I can just say something like that. <laughs> nah, dear brother. Hey, I wanted to pray for the week. Thanks, James. Good morning. I needed that prayer because uh, I need a nap. There's a very huge lack of caffeine in my system right now. And uh, <laughs> I, did the, I did first service and I was pretty much done. So that was a good prayer for me. Uh, but I, I do pray that um, we can look at Noah a little bit today. Um, for those of you that don't know, my name is Patrick Zalamea, just as uh, James said. I'm an elder here at Calvary Slow. I oversee just kind of like the business aspects, the financial aspects, all that kind of stuff. I promise you I won't give you a financial update today. So if, you promise, if I promise to do that, promise not to fall asleep, okay? If I see anybody falling asleep, I'm giving a financial update. Um, but yeah, I'm an elder here. Uh, we've been going here since uh, 1998, and it's been awesome. And uh, if you don't know, the last few years, Brian's been taking some vacation time in the summer and doing a rotation. This is the first time uh, he, they asked me to do be part of the rotation while he's gone. Uh, it was brave of them because I don't do this um, very often. I, uh, I've done retreats. I've done Bible studies and um, short-term um, Bible studies too, and that kind of stuff, but nothing like this, so it's kind of nerve-wracking. I'm nervous, no caffeine, and I'm tired, so I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to get into it. Does it sound good? Good. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of uh, being able to bring just a little bit, I think, of what I've learned just from studying Noah's life. It's been uh, just an awesome blessing, God, so thank you for that. Thank you for you, most of all, God, that you want to be intimate with us. You want us to walk alongside of you or with you. And uh, we just pray right now that you would just give us even a glimpse of that right now, a glimpse of an invitation to walk deeper in intimacy with you and to, to love you with all of our heart, mind, and strength. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come, speak in and through me, and also open the eyes of our heart and our ears of our heart so that we can hear what you want us to hear um, out of the life of Noah. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A little bit more about me uh, is that I like little pithy sayings, like they're called idioms. Does that make sense? These little figures of speech, like a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? Did some? You guys are not awake. It's, a, it's 11.35. You guys are the awake crowd. Uh, okay, you can't teach an old dog new. Oh, thank you. And uh, that guy keeps shooting himself in the... Right. They're not really shooting themselves in the foot, right? 
There is just a figure of speech for something that really means something else. Like the, the uh, shooting yourself in the foot means they're hurting themselves, right? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can't teach an old person who's used to things already new things. And uh, as I was studying Noah, um, pretty much from the minute they asked me to do Noah, <laughs> I started studying Noah, which was a few weeks ago. So I've been worrying about this for a long time. But ever since I've been doing it, the, thing, the idiom that keeps coming into my mind is the idiom of um, he puts his pants on one leg at a time, right? And what does that idiom mean? That means that he's just like you and me, right? He, he can't just magically hover over his pants and do that thing like David Blaine street magic or anything like that. <laughs> he's not awesome like that. He's just a regular dude. And some of you literal people, there's literal people in here right now that are going, I'm not listening to this guy because Noah didn't wear pants. People in the Middle East don't wear pants, you know. People in the desert don't wear pants, and that's true. But if he did wear pants, he would put them on one leg at a time, right? You guys with me on that? He's just like you and me. And as we study Noah, you're going to see this theme come over and over again, that he's just like you and me. Um, In fact, I think just kind of putting on the lens of holy fear and asking God, I look at Noah, and I think he looks a lot like me, right? He's, when we reach him, and we're going to go to, if you guys just can re-go to Genesis 5, we're going to be in Genesis 5 through 9, we're going to talk about the Hebrews passage really quick, and then come back to it when we're done. But when we reach him in chapter 5, or chapter 6, I forget, he's middle-aged, just like me. I'm turning 40 in December. He turned 500, but we won't, (laughs) we won't parse, we won't parse words. Please don't be literal on me on that one. I'm not 500. And he wasn't 40, but he was middle-aged, right? He had a wife and three sons. I have a beautiful wife and two sons. My wife and her mother are in the back there. You can say hi to them and embarrass them. (laughs) And uh, so I'm a lot like that. And then uh, he was a lay minister. I think he had um, um, a regular job or a day job in the world like I do. I work for a company called TransUnion uh, right down the street here near Starbucks. Uh, It's a website company or a web company. I work for them nine to five. And then I do, like like James was saying, I do this kind of like in my free time. (laughs) And you can tell I have a lot, right? But this is, it's a privilege to really use um, my free time for the kingdom and for Calvary Slow. I think if you guys look at your own free time, uh, and I looked at my free time before I started helping out here at Calvary, and it was so lame <laughs> what I used to do. So I'm so glad to be able to be doing things that are for eternity. And I think that's what Noah was doing. He had a, I think he had a day job. We don't know. But um, it also says that he was ministering on the side. He was preaching righteousness in Second Peter, it says. So he had a really small crowd, eight people. Um, those were, that was his church, was his family. So there weren't a lot of people growing in his church, but he was ministering on the side. There was no priesthood yet. That's coming later. And um, if I think about Noah, I think he was brown, and I'm brown. So he looked a lot like me. I guess hope you get the point. Probably brown. I don't know. Linda was like, is he brown? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but I'm just guessing that he was brown, because people in the desert are generally brown. So um, what I've noticed is, like, as, as I'm telling you that um, Noah is just like you and me, is that when I talk to people about biblical characters, when I was studying Noah, looking at the commentaries, listening to the sermons, I was realizing that some people were kind of putting him on a pedestal. Like, 
he was he's like this otherworldly person that we can't touch or learn anything from and that's why God found favor on him and all that kind of stuff and that's just not true as we're going to see when we look at Noah's life people do this all the time I was reading this book about women in the Bible I don't know why (laughs) I like women's ministry I don't know but anyways I was looking at this book about Sarah and they just talked about how awesome she was how faithful she was how she she totally had faith in God to go with um Abraham to, I said, almost said Moses, to, uh, to a new land, leave all of his, her family and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's all they said about Sarah. She was awesome. We should be like Sarah, you know. And uh, I was like, didn't she the one that laughed at God when he said that she was going to have a son? Yeah. So we have to kind of look at these Bible characters with their highs and their lows, and they're just like us. We make mistakes. They make mistakes. They're saved by grace, we're saved by grace. And that's what we're going to see with Noah. So we'll look at the Hebrews passage, and um, what we'll see is that we can't really interpret the Hebrews passage until we kind of dig deeper into Noah's life. And the Hebrews passage is 11.7. We're going through all of the people in Hebrews 11, and it says, and today uh, my topic is Noah. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And you can look at that passage, I think, and kind of go, wow, Noah, you know, he's pretty cool. And that's how a lot of people actually interpret that um, passage. And that's why you'll hear people call um, chapter 11 of Hebrews the hall of faith because they want to kind of put these people on a pedestal. And and we'll just take him down just a little bit of a notch, just so that we can learn from him, be encouraged by him, kind of hear from his experience what we should be doing. And uh, we'll do that in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 6 and 7. So in this large passage, we're going to see that Noah's lineage, he himself, and the world around him were all sinful, Right? The first thing we'll look at is his lineage. And we look in verse 3, and in verse 3 it says that Adam had fathered a son in his own likeness and after his own image. Um, And what's Adam's likeness at this point? You guys remember the story of Adam and Eve? (laughs) Hopefully you know that, that uh, God had put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, wanted to... uh, (laughs) Did I say something bad? Eden? Even. What? Okay. He wanted to walk in the cool in the night with them. He wanted to be intimate with them, and they rejected him, right? They didn't listen to the one command that he had for them, and they ate of the fruit. And this is what it's talking about in verse 3, is that Adam took Adam's sin got transferred to every generation after him. Seth, Enosh, you'll look at all of those names that I, some of them I can't even rem- pronounce, and the sin just kept going and going and going. And the only bright spot... Um, and kind of a precursor to Noah is Enoch. And we talked about Enoch last week. It says in verses 22 and 24 that he walked with God. And I'm just going to introduce this concept to you really quick because I want to unpack it a lot more with Noah. But walking with God in Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing in a direction? Right? So walking with God is agreeing on God's direction for your life. Is saying, I've been going this way. I've been walking away from you. I've been walking against you even, 
and now I'm going to repent and I'm going to walk with you. So that's just a really quick introduction. We're going to talk a lot more about it later, um, but that's kind of a precursor to Noah's life. But the rest of the lineage, eight of the nine people, all, it just goes on and on. So-and-so had so-and-so lived a long life and died. So-and-so had so-and-so lived a long life and died. It's just this monotonous dirge of people dying and sinning and having more sinners. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So that's what's going on there. And then... Uh, I think I have another idiom for that whole lineage thing, and that's uh, there's rotten fruit on that tree, on that family tree, right? And uh, I think that's, if we all look at our own family trees, we're going to see the same thing because we're on it. (laughs) I know I look at my family tree and I'm like, there's the rotten fruit right there, you know? (laughs) And so I think if you look at your own, you're going to see a lot of sin in your own family tree too. Maybe some Enoch's, and that's good, the people that found favor with God walked with God, but then there's probably a lot of people just like with Noah that were sinners and died. The next thing that we'll look at is the world around Noah was really sinful. In fact, we'll jump around a little bit, but in verse 6, it says, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And I have that in bold letters, and I hope you feel that grief. Do you feel it? Do you know the grief that God felt in this moment? And we touched on it a little bit. It started with Adam and Eve. He wanted to put them in the garden and love on them and just pour out his life with them and be intimate with them like it says in the Bible and walk with them in the cool of the night and talk with them. And they rejected him. They both listened to some serpent. And then Adam chose his wife over God. And so they basically just totally rejected that love and that um, grace that God wanted to put in their lives. And then they had kids, okay? And, they had, and then those kids had kids. And everybody's having kids and sinful kids and kids that do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. And this is the grief that God's feeling, is that he's an all-knowing and all-powerful God, and he can see everything that's going on. And there's probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Adam and Eve's offsprings doing the same exact thing, rejecting God. And that's what it says in verse 6, that he was sorry that he made men. And he, it grieved him to his heart. Um, so uh, I hope that you feel that grief. The, and that's what's described here as the world being really sinful. I think even further in verses uh, 1 through 4 of chapter 6, we're going to see even more of the grief that God is feeling. It's, it's in verse 6, but he's talking about everything that happened in verses 1 through 4. And just fair warning, this is kind of, a weird passage. <laughs> There's things like giants and that kind of stuff, and people kind of interpret these things kind of wrong. But basically what's going on is it's saying that the sons of God were marrying the daughters of man, and that there were giants in the land. And then you'll get some really interesting interpretations of angels impregnating women and making a giant race of people. Yeah. Not Lord of the Rings, but actually people in commentaries saying the Nephilim were these offspring of angels and people. And I don't really agree with that whole thing. You guys might, and that's fine. I don't know. I'm just going to go with the simple explanation of these passages. And that, that explanation is that they're two separate things. That one, the sons of God, believers, were hooking up with non-believers, the daughters of man. That's a separate thing. And then there were also these people 
called the Nephilim, who were figuratively and literally giants. They were big people. They're, I don't know. I don't know how tall. But in Lord of the Rings, they're like eight feet tall. Um, you guys read Lord of the Rings? The Silmarillion? Anyways, um, so they were giants. And what was going on was that they were the people that people followed. They were the pop culture, if that makes any sense. So I'll unpack it in a little bit of a different language. The Christians were not were marrying non-Christians. Does that make sense? And in verse 2, it says why they were doing it. It's because they liked their looks. They were attracted to them. They, liked, they, they saw the package, and they didn't look at the heart. They didn't look at the character. They didn't look at the faith that the person had. They looked at the package. And then the next thing that we see is I, will, I like to, I think, I equate the Nephilim and what they call as the men of renown with movie stars, rock stars, talk show hosts, sports heroes, the quote-unquote cool people. These were the people that the sons of God were following. These are the people that the Christians were following more than God. And this is, again, what grieved God's heart. He wanted to be intimate with them. He wanted to speak into their lives. He wanted to tell them who to marry. But they were rejecting him and listening to the men of renown and the cool people and the hip people. Does that make sense? And I think it makes sense because that's our world, right? I mean, I look at our lives and I think, who am I listening to? Am I listening to God's voice or am I listening to what some movie star tells me to do or what sports hero tells me to do or what the cool thing is to do, right? I think, um, I told you guys, I think you guys know, I do announcements every once in a while. And I think this service, more than second service, has a lot of single people in it. And I look at the single people, and I go, man, that dude and that girl could totally be a force for the kingdom if they got together, right? And it's not just because I'm, I like matchmaking, and that's kind of weird. Some of you know this about me. I'm <clears throat> kind of like that lady in Fiddler on the Roof, and I'd love to do to do matchmaking. It was just like, it would be my dream in life to be that as a career. You know, QA, software QA manager, that's nothing compared to matchmaking. That would be hot. So um, that's not just what I'm talking about here. What am I talking about here? Oh, so I look over the congregation, and I think they would be an awesome force for the kingdom, and I don't know why they don't get together, because they know each other, you know? And the only thing that I can come up with, and I may be totally wrong, and I'm willing to be totally wrong, is that maybe, just maybe, the pop culture is telling them who they should marry. What beautiful is, what romance is, what handsome is, who they should be marrying, all that stuff, instead of God telling them who they should marry. Does that make sense? We, I went to Bible college a long time ago. I'm really old. I told you guys I'm five, I mean 40. And... Uh, <laughs> I had the privilege of going. It was an awesome time in my life, and I met these two people. And um, the guy and the gal, they were just awesome together. You know, everybody in the Bible college was like, why don't they get together? You know, they hung out together. They were really good friends. They studied together. They joked together. It was a really, it was, you didn't have to be a matchmaker guy like me to see they should be together, you know. And um, what I talked to him because he's a good friend of mine. He was actually in my wedding, and I was just like, hey, what's up with you and, you know, so-and-so? He's, and he really poured out his heart to me. He was like, well, my, my idea of beauty was formed by the, 
by surfing, like because he was a surfer down in Southern California. And so he saw all of those women on the beach, and she didn't look like them. And so he was blocked, you know. But today, praise the Lord, they're married. They have multiple children. It's really cool. Um, but I also wonder about, yeah, it totally warms my heart. But uh, I also wonder, <laughs> people getting married. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's good. Uh, but I also wonder, all of, these, all of this time, I think it was a couple of years that were wasted, that they could have been together for the kingdom, doing amazing things, and also, on top of that, all of the hurt that maybe he gave her by rejecting her for so long. And it was because of the um, worldly thought of what beauty is. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say. Well, uh, I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, <laughs> for the single people out there, just a challenge to you. If... Uh, if um, there's people in your life of the opposite sex that are Christians, they love the Lord with all of their heart, all their soul, all of their mind, consider them. You know, if they have a Bible and they actually read it every once in a while, consider that person. You know, if they have a, uh, for the women, this is for you guys. If they have a job, you know, these are the kind of things we should be thinking about, right? The basics. <laughs> they don't need to be like, you know, whoever in the movies looking all shimmery and stuff. They just need to have the love of Jesus in their heart, a Bible that they read every once in a while, and for you women, a job. If they're living in the basement with mommy and daddy and playing Xbox all day, run away from that guy. If you're dating that guy, run away from that guy. If he wants to beat me up later, I'll meet you guys out in the parking lot, okay? Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm going to say about the world being kind of like sinful and kind of influenced by the pop culture of the time. I don't know how the pop culture got spread back then, like little rock tablets or something, but it did get spread, okay? Um, so then the last thing that we'll look at is that the world is sinful, his lineage is sinful. People are like... Uh, and he himself is sinful. And this is kind of a subtle thing throughout this whole passage, um, and then we can look at the passage, but we could also know what other parts of the Bible say and say that Noah was sinful, right? Verse 3 again, Adam passed his sin all the way down his lineage, okay? And then in verse 6, just like we talked about, he said, I was so sorry. God says, I'm so sorry that I made man. He didn't exclude Noah from that phrase, right? And then the last thing that I'll say is in uh, we all should know this verse. In Ephesians 2.8, it's, uh, I'll read it. Hello. Um, it says, <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't my phone. <laughs> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And something that I learned in Bible college, a really good tip for you guys, is that the Bible interprets itself, right? So we can't look at Noah and say, he had favor with God because he was awesome. He could hover over his pants and put them on together with, you know, two legs. He was just like us. He was a sinner saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. Enoch, the same thing, okay? Just like you and me. Does that make sense? Good. We can go on, I think, unless I have something else. No one can boast. Yeah, awesome. So we're going to go on to the next section. This is my favorite section of the whole thing, so we're going to spend about an hour here. And, uh, good job, some of you got it, uh, is that Noah also walked with God. That's uh, Genesis 6, 8 through eight twenty two. It's a really long passage. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to highlight some things here. The first thing, just like we were talking about, he was a sinner, and he was saved by grace. 
in verses 8 through 9, it talks about it. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Notice the order of how that works, right? First, God poured out his favor on Noah. Favor is just another word for grace. He poured his grace on Noah, said, I want to save you in this wicked generation, in your wicked lineage, in your wicked heart. I'm going to pour my grace upon you and save you. Then he became what we, then the Bible says that Noah was righteous, a righteous man and blameless in his generation. Some people get those mixed up. They say he was righteous and blameless, and that's why God gave his favor to him. But we know the Bible interprets itself, right? He has nothing to boast about, and the order is very clear. God poured his favor on him, and then he was saved. Does that make sense? Anything, anytime you talk about anybody walking with God, they must be saved first. And so I think for some of us, just like with Noah, you've repented. You've said, I know that I've been walking away from God for a long time, and I want to walk with God, and I want to be with God on, in, in everything, and that's awesome. And some of you haven't done that yet. Some of you are still walking away from God and not allowing the grace through faith permeate your life. And that's the challenge that we have today, is to say that God doesn't want anybody to perish but he wants them to reach repentance. And so he wants to pour his grace upon you, and I hope that you'll listen and allow him to, either today or sometime this week as you're meditating on what you're hearing today, okay? So same thing as Noah, as it goes with us. He was saved by grace. We have to be saved by grace. Hopefully you already are. If you're not, I would implore you to ask God for his grace to save you um, in this wicked time, okay? The next thing is that, uh, that we see about his walk with God is that God spoke to him. <clears throat> and I think with Noah, it was an audible. Um, and then Noah obeyed, right? We see in verses 13 through 21, all of these details about um, making the ark with gopher wood. It has to be 450 feet long. It has to be 75 feet wide. All of these details, right? He's saying, Noah, you're called to save your family. And what I want you to do is do all of these things. And what does it say in verse 22 of, uh, I think, chapter 6? says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. And that's part of the key of God speaking to you, is that when he speaks, you listen and you obey. And part of what James says in his, Bible, in his book is that there are a bunch of people who are hearers of God's word, but not doers, and they're deceiving themselves. And one of the things we see about Noah is that he didn't deceive himself. When he heard God tell him to do something, as crazy as it was, to build a ginormous boat in the middle of the desert, he did it. And that's part of walking with God, is to hear him speak and to obey. And, and that's how I'll introduce it. But I really want to unpack a little bit about God speaking to us. This can be very controversial to some people, um, but not too controversial for me. Um, very, very good teachers and people think God doesn't speak to his people anymore. And um, I would disagree humbly and respectfully and tell you three things about it. Number one, if God is asking us to be like Noah and to walk with him, how many people do you walk with and not talk to? Is that weird? (laughs) Can you picture it? Just like walking with somebody? Not talking with you. You know, that just doesn't happen, right? And then God even calls it, Jesus calls us friend. How many good friends don't talk to their friends? 
Would that be, isn't that, wouldn't that be weird? You're my best friend, but I just don't want to talk to you anymore. You know, <laughs> you're my BFF. <laughs> well, BFFs talk to each other. And then, you know what BFFs are? Best friends forever. Good times. And then, um, also Jesus calls us the church, his bride. And how many good husbands don't talk to their wives, right? So that's my first point about it. So I kind of don't know about this whole God doesn't speak to us anymore. That's my, my first point about it. The second thing is this is just another subtle way that we put Noah on a pedestal. Any biblical character, we just say, there's something altogether awesome, awesome about them. They speak, God speaks to them, and he doesn't speak to me, so I can't be like Noah, you know? So it's just another subtle thing. And then the last thing that I'll say is I can totally understand some of you not liking this whole thing. You're squirming in your seat because you've met people that are really weird and say that they hear God speak to them, right? Today I was thinking I should feed my dog, so I asked God, should I feed my dog today? Yeah, okay, I'll feed my dog today. You know, that's kind of like weird, okay? It's like you probably, if he gave you a dog, you should feed the dog every day. We feed our dog twice a day. And then... um, And then there's also other people who are like, God told me, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is, right, to marry you. (laughs) Like, God didn't tell me to marry you, dude. You you are weird. And uh, so so I can understand. People are kind of like, "Uh, he's going to start talking about God speaking to us. But what I want to do is kind of just have a little bit of a balance, okay, and understand that. God does speak to us, and I'm going to give you a little bit of my testimony of how God speaks to me, three ways, and um, you can take that for what it's worth, leave here and kind of say, oh, I kind of understood that, but I kind of didn't, or just kind of say, "Eh, Patrick's a nut job, and I'm not going to this church anymore because he's one of the elders, and he's teaching these weird things, or hopefully you can understand my heart for the subject. I've been studying it for a while, since probably around 2003, and just kind of like really with the whole hope, you know, with really a humble heart, just kind of experimenting and seeing what does God, how does God speak to me? How does God speak to other people in the Bible? I mean, that sort of thing. So the first thing that we'll look at, very solid, and hopefully none of you can uh, refute this one, is that he speaks to us through the Bible, right? The very first way, the primary way, I would even say, is through the Bible. So that's why I was saying one of the criteria for you single people trying to marry each other, is that they have a Bible and they read it, right? Because in reading the Word, the Holy Spirit can convict you of sin and kind of have you say, oh, I need to change this part of my life. Holy Spirit, do it. Because you're reading the Bible, you're seeing what other people are doing in the Bible, and you're saying, I want to be more like that. That is the first way and the primary way that I would say that God speaks to us. Thank you. And uh, so that's the Bible. And I would say, before you even look at the other two that I have, that you have to have a really firm grasp of what the Bible says about everything (laughs) as much as possible. You know, you should probably have a pretty solid theology of who Jesus is, what the Trinity is about, and all that kind of stuff, right? So I got the privilege of doing Bible college. We have the privilege today of free podcasts, right? You can pretty much download any really good teacher and some bad ones, from iTunes and listen to it all the time, read your Bible and hear from them and pretty much get a Bible college education because that's what we did. We just went through books of the Bible all day long and then cleaned toilets because we were at a conference center. But um, 
<laughs> you didn't need to know that, huh? And uh, we just did that all day long. And so you can immerse yourself in the Bible, what it says, what's going on. You can be convicted of sin. God can speak to you through, that definitely speaks to us through the Bible. Amen? Awesome. And then the next thing that, and this is more of my testimony, is just kind of like in our prayer life. Um, And what I mean by prayer life is, you know, when we're praying. (laughs) It's not just like what I was talking about with walking with God. It's not just one way. There's a a two-way communication that's going on. And the way that it happens for me, at least, is that when I'm asking God, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I be doing these kinds of things with Calvary Slow or um, all of these important things in life? um, You get like this really immense peace and conviction. Does that make sense? You just go, yeah, uh, I need to do that. You know? And the thing about that is you have to have a prayer life, <laughs> number one, to have that happen. You have to be willing to have God speak into the answer of that question. You know, a lot of times in my life, I've been like, hey, God, I want to go do that. Can you go do that with me? You know, instead of asking him, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Um, the other thing that I think about with prayer life is we have to have some quietness in our life to be able to not crowd out that conviction, that peace, right? So those are kind of like, hopefully that's not too weird for you guys. And I'm not in any way thinking that any of you shouldn't have an audible. I've never had an audible. <laughs> but uh, the, in fact, some of the people that have audibles, it's kind of crazy in the Bible, you know, like Balaam and his donkey gets an audible from the donkey. And he's pretty much in sin, right? And then Ananias, um, God tells him to go meet with Paul, who's like killing Christians. And Ananias is like, uh, I'm not going to see Paul. But he got an audible, so he had to go, right? So getting the audibles are kind of like big. But I'm just going to say, for me, what I've experienced in my prayer life is just like an, an incredible peace, an incredible conviction to go do something. And the way that that works and the way I'll illustrate it is kind of like trying jeans on, right? Amen? How do you try jeans on? Do you just look at them and go, those are 3630s, those are my, those will fit me, you know? I just divulged my jean size. And somebody told me after service, he's like, the 36 part's not bad, you know, their waist part's not bad. If only your length was actually 36 too, then you'd be one svelte dude. But uh, anyways, so I don't just like pick up a pair of jeans, go 3630, I'm taking those home, you know? You try them on. They either fit or they don't. Am I right? Especially the women, right? You can't just put on a pair of jeans like in sister pants. That doesn't work. You can't just wear each other's jeans, right? Is that the movie? Traveling sister pants or something like that. (laughs) Um, uh, You can't just wear other people's jeans. You can't just look at a pair of jeans and know that they fit. You have to try them on. They have to feel right, right? You have to have like this conviction that you look in the mirror and you're like, yep, that looks good. I'm buying these, right? So many times I've looked at them going, oh, they'll be fine. Maybe they'll shrink later, or maybe I'll roll the things up, and I never wear those jeans ever again. And this is what it's like to have this prayer life with God and just asking him, what should I do? A couple of years ago, I took the job that I'm in now. I left Family Care Network to take the job, and I was perfectly content in that job. And I just felt this interesting conviction of like, ah, maybe I should start looking again. Like, really? And just took the time to just ask God, really? Every step of the way, should I send my resume out, Lord? I'm waiting for the conviction. I'm waiting for the peace. If I don't get the conviction, if I don't get the peace, I ain't doing it because I want to walk with God. Does that make sense? The interview process, the, all the way to accepting the job, I was like, 
I don't know, sweating bullets. Like, should I take this job? I'm, I'm in a fine job, you know. I'm in an okay job. Maybe this will be better. God wants it. I want it. Um, and, and I felt that conviction. I felt that peace. Linda and I both felt that peace to take that job, and that's why I took it. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm at that job right now. And it's really cool because it's right there. You know, I can walk right over here and serve and, uh, and sometimes during my lunch break. And it's a really good job. And I, I think there's some um, really good things for me in the future there. So, so that's how that works. Does that make sense, prayer life? Hopefully that makes sense to you. If you have those same questions, should I take this job? Should I get this degree? Should I marry this person? Should I go into missions? Should I just go on this short-term missions trip? You've got to ask God about it and feel a conviction. Feel that um, peace that goes beyond understanding sometimes because, you know, I, like I said, I was fine in my job and just a peace beyond understanding. Okay, I'll walk through that door and then go for it because you want to walk with God too. Okay? And the last thing I'm going to talk about, um, these are all kind of mixed up, so sorry, but the last one is called people and coincidences. I call, it's kind of cheesy, God incidences, um, but... <laughs> Isn't that cheesy Christian, Christianese? But it's true. It is God. There is no such thing as a coincidence. God has these things happen in our lives. And the best way that I can illustrate that is, a, is the short version of the Linda and Patrick story, story going into adoption. Okay? We are getting certified for Fost Adopt. And um, what's going on there was that way back during our premarital counseling days, you know, they ask us all these questions. And I was really flipping about them. Linda was like writing these really big paragraphs and stuff. And I was just like, pray and know that God is sovereign. Pray and know that God is sovereign. And that's been actually pretty true. I was being sinful and flippant, but that's actually true. You can pray and know that God is sovereign through just about everything that they ask you. But the one thing they asked us was, what if you can't have natural, like children through birth? And uh, our conviction, this is our conviction, doesn't have to be yours, was that we would adopt. We would adopt children if we knew that we couldn't, if we kept trying and trying and nothing was happening. Well, we have two sons from birth, <laughs> Josh, who's 10, and Jason, who's 5, and they're beautiful little boys if you ever see them. Um, we, we just love them to death. We're glad to have them. About two years ago, um, Linda informs me that she's ready to have more babies. And if you know me, I love matchmaking and I love babies. It's kind of a weird thing for a guy to love, but I just love holding babies like I have pictures of me taking naps with babies and kind of that kind of stuff and I just love cuddling with them when they're little you know uh we did that a lot with our with our boys and I was just like I love babies but your last pregnancy wasn't the best you know you had stroke-like symptoms you know do you remember this like she would lose sight and part of her eye she'd be driving Stroke-like symptoms, pull over, you know. Josh is in the back. And, like, we had a Volvo, so that was okay. But we really didn't want to have, like, an, an accident. And uh, so she'd pull over. Stroke's gone. Okay. You know, and keep going. I'm like, do you remember that? And she didn't remember that. Five minutes into having Jason, she's ready to have another baby. I'm like, we can't do this, you know. And, uh, and then that plus the thought that maybe God's still calling us to adopt. What do you think? And so we went back through these three things that we do with God. You know, the, what does the Bible say about adoption? God loves adoption, right? He adopted each and every one of you that are Christians today. God loves adoption. That's what the Bible says. Good. Check mark. And then, <laughs> sorry. 
And then uh, the prayer life, we started asking God, do you want us to adopt? Do you want us to have a baby? We're ready for either one. You know, like I said, I love babies. We're ready for either one. What's going on? And then the next thing was because the Bible says to have a multitude of counselors, we went to, I went to Mark Overdue, and I don't see him. He wasn't here at first service either. But him and his wife, Edie, go to this church. All five of their kids are adopted. Um, and I went to him first. I was like, hey, we're thinking about adoption. And here's the backstory on this. Like, I, I was, I had an idea of how adoption was going to work for us. You know, I was going for private, Lord, private adoption. You know, just take out a bunch of money out of the house, hold a sign up at an abortion clinic and go, I want your baby kind of a thing. Not like in a bad way, just I want to adopt your baby, right? And that was my idea of what was going to go on. I was like, God bless this plan of mine, you know? And then Mark Overdue, Mark I think the Overdue's, they have a private adoption, and he just started talking to me about Fostadopt. And I'm like, oh, if Mark wasn't bigger than me and had a better motorcycle than me, I would leave right now, cause, but he'll beat me up if I start arguing with him about private adoption versus um, Fostadopt. He just kept talking to me about Fostadopt. I'm like, okay, uh, Bob got bobblehead, uh huh. And then I go to work. I found out another dude uh, at work adopted two sons. And I didn't know it was Foss Adopt. I thought it was private adoption. And I go, hey, let's go to lunch. And we go over to here to Evo's, really interesting food. And uh, I'm thinking, he's going to tell me all about private adoption, right? He's like, I adopted them through Foss Adopt. I'm like, awesome. We just like had a whole hour lunch of talking about Foss Adopt. I'm like, strike two. You know, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but I think... God wants us to do FOSADOP. And the thing that I have reticence, I had reticence about with FOSADOP is that, um, if any of you guys don't know, is that they place a child in your home, and they're doing two things. They're trying to have you adopt them, and they're trying to put them with a blood relative. <laughs> Those kind of seem like not parallel things, but they call it a parallel thing. But they're really like this, you know? And so they could take your, the child out of your home after you've bonded with the child and then take them to... A blood relative. So that's kind of why I was like, uh, I don't know. Then the last straw was, uh, any of you guys heard of Facebook? <laughs> Some of you guys know, like I'm on Facebook 24-7, huh? I'm not really. I'm not really. It's not an addiction at all. But we got on Facebook two years ago, and uh, a lot of the people that we um, knew from down south when we moved up here in 98, they all of a sudden started friending us, right? And so the Learneds, um, Jeff and Maureen, they friended us. And guess what? They do FOSTADOP. Not only do they do FOSTADOP, they are recruiters for the agency that they're with. And so we started talking to them about it. And we're like, okay, God, I get it. You know, you want us to do FOSTADOP. That's fine. And, and yeah, so the Learneds are really cool. They totally, uh, they have one um, natural chi- child from birth. They have one private adoption. They have three right now that they have from FOSTADOPT, and they have another one placed in their home right now. I love the learners in their heart for the needy kids down there in L.A. where they live. Um, they're awesome. They totally jumped over the swagger wagon, the minivan, and went straight for the 12-passenger. You know, they're like, we're in this for the kingdom, you know. We're not cool, you know. We don't have an SUV. We have the 12-passenger bus, you know. And that's so cool to me. So, so we, we got it. You know, we're like, okay, Lord, we got the peace. We have the conviction that we should be doing fasted up. Even though it wasn't our will, we want to be aligned with your will. We want to walk with you in this. And he changed my heart. He changed Linda's heart. And the real bottom line thing for the whole thing was 
We don't have control over how long we even have our natural children, right? God's in control of that too. And that was what Maureen said to us, and we're like, uh, yeah, you know, we don't have, we think we have them till they're 18 or whatever, but you just never know. God has whatever he has planned, and we want to be in on that plan. Okay, so that's kind of the people and coincidences. Does that make sense? Two, nobody's running from to the doors or anything, thinking that I'm crazy. So that's good. So the last thing that, last few things I'll say about, uh, I think it's one last thing, we'll see, uh, is that when God speaks to you, it's not for frivolous things, right? It's usually like with Noah, because remember, Noah's just like us. It's usually for some kind of greater calling. And um, he's not just going to, you know, tell you to wear green today, you know, kind of a thing, which may be a higher calling, but I don't know. And he's going to ask you to do something amazing for him, and he wants you to obey him. And that's what happened with Noah. And what's really interesting is that we need that calling. If any of you have a calling on your life from God, you know this, right? When the tough times come, you go back to that, that conviction, that, that peace that you had back in the day and say, that's, this is what I'm called to do. I know this is the hard times, but I'm going to keep going because God called me to do this. With Noah, it's no different. hundred years. Did you guys know that he built the ark for a hundred years? That's what it says. hundred years. People don't even live 100 years anymore. For 100 years, he uh, worked his job. Uh, on his free time, he built the ark. I'm guessing that he financed it himself, right? I don't know how much that much wood would cost, but that's a lot of wood, 450 feet. I'm thinking maybe it's the size of this building and the next building. I'm not sure, but it's really hot, really long, really wide, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, had to get a lot of gopher wood, whatever that is, and a lot of pitch to make this, and he financed it. He probably got a lot of ridicule from everybody around him. They're like, why are you building this thing in the middle of the desert? There's no water around here. And the Bible, a lot of people, a lot of the commentaries thought the family kind of helped out. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't say Noah. It just says that Noah obeyed. And so maybe he even got ridicule from his family. Like, oh, the old man going through a midlife crisis. Just let him build his boat, whatever, you know. <laughs> So how did Noah endure that? And plus, he was, in the, he was in the ark with his family and stinky animals for a year, floating around for a year. No oars, no outboard motor, just kind of floating around, you know, shoveling stuff and giving people other, giving animals hay and stuff like that for a year. You have to have a calling, and that's why God speaks to us, so that you'll have that calling, you'll have that conviction, you'll have that peace, and you'll be able to go back to it and go, I can keep going. I, I just think about Brian a lot of the time, after, especially after teaching here today. This, is, this has been really stressful. And he does this like all the time, you know, like I think 40 times a year, 50 times a year. He only does a rotation for like maybe five or six Sundays or whatever. But he does this all the time. And you know why he does it? It's because he was called to do it. And uh, he's faithful to do it. And, and um, I love him for that. And it's amazing. And if you guys ever have, get the chance to preach it for other people, you'll see how much hard work it is. And you do it because you're called. There's no way you could do this out of duty. There's no way. And you can't do it because of pay. All right? So that's the last thing I'll talk about with God um, speaking to us. The last thing that we'll look at, uh, an indicator, the last indicator about Noah's life that showed that he walked with God was that the first thing he wanted to do was worship God. What is the first thing he wanted to do when he got off of that ark? Did you, did you guys see that in verse 20? It says, you know, he's, he's uh, again, building the ark for 100 years. 
on the ark for a year. Chapter 8, verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. First thing, he didn't run around kissing the ground, waving his hands, going, I'm free from the stench. I'm going to go take a, uh, I don't know, I, would, my, I might have taken a shower. But he just took some rocks, built an altar, and worshipped the Lord. Out of his heart, there was no sacrificial system yet. There was no, nothing saying that he needed to do this. And it's kind of an interesting progression if you watch it, because God tells him specifically how to build the ark. He doesn't tell him specifically to send those birds. That's kind of like, I think, maybe the progression of God, him walking with God. And then he just pours out his heart and worships God. And what does God say about it in verse 21? And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. It was very pleasing to God to have Noah's first inclination to be worshipped. And you know what he did with that pleasure? He said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to flood the earth again. I'm never going to kill that many people in a mass natural disaster again. He gave us the rainbow. He said, thank you, Noah, for being that faithful and worshipping me. We're not doing this again, okay? And I just wonder, really, in my own heart, is this my heart to worship God the first thing that I do in the morning? Not really. You know, I pick up my iPhone, and I'm like, what's going on in the world with Facebook? And and I just wonder, why? You know, why isn't my first inclination to worship like it was Noah's? And one of the things is he has a, he had an awesome calling. I mean, he, his whole family was saved. If you can imagine the scene of the floods coming and people dying and him realizing, wow, God just saved me from a, from a cataclysmic disaster. That's his first heart of, is to worship, and that's awesome. So that's the last thing I'll talk about with walking with God. The third thing that we'll talk about, and then we'll, we'll be finished up here in a little bit, is that even though Noah um, walked with God, and even though uh, Noah was saved from grace, from all of the sin that was going on in, on in his heart and in the world, he is also saved but still flawed, right? Just like you and me. We're going to come back to that. We're just going to keep hammering that one. You're going to be going, leaving here going, just like you and me, just like you and me. But he was saved and he was flawed. And the first way that we see that is this is he got drunk, right? Verses 20 and 21 say, Noah began to be a man of the soil, a vintner, I think is what they're talking about here. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Um, so before we get started on unpacking those two verses, as, as, as weird as those are, let's just go back to verse 1 of the same chapter, chapter 9. And it says, and God, it starts out, and God blessed Noah and his sons. And this basically means anything that his, him and her, or his sons did. Remember, this is like, they're the only people on the earth. There's nothing. It's just waste. And he, it says, whatever those guys did, God blessed. If they wanted to be a shepherd, they were blessed being a shepherd. If they wanted to be a farmer, one at Ham or, or the other two guys, Japheth and Shem, wanted to be a farmer, they were a good farmer. They were blessed. And so Noah wanted to be um, a vineyard dude. And so God blessed it. And that's a pretty awesome thing because that's a pretty huge endeavor, right? I, from what I hear, when you make wine it's like from scratch like no nothing just ground it takes at least three or four years for there to be the first grapes right and it takes a few more years after that for the wine to ferment and to age and to taste any good and so that's what noah's endeavor was and god blessed it all the way through because it's not a sin 
to make wine or drink wine. It's not a sin to be a shepherd. Uh, it's not a sin to be an astronomer and to study the stars. The sin is you're a shepherd and you eat a whole lamb by yourself. That's gluttony, right? <laughs> if you're an astronomer and you start worshiping the stars, that's the sin that's going on there. You pick the created thing other than the creator. And that's what happened with Noah, was that he was blessed all the way through to making the wine, and then he overindulged in that thing and got high and ended up naked in his room. And that was sin to him. So he's, he got drunk, and that was a bad thing. That was a flaw. And we're all, we're all flawed. We may be saved, but we're all flawed. We're all going to do weird things in our life before we get taken to see Jesus, right? And this is the weird thing that Noah did. And the next thing that we see is that he had two honorable children, and one dishonorable child. And I'm talking about Ham here. Um, in verse 22, on to almost the end of the chapter, it shows us that even the most godly people can have ungodly children, whether by their, their mistakes of child-rearing or the, the child's free will, or I think maybe mo mostly a combination of both. We can have very godly people like Noah have ungodly children like Ham. And what I mean by ungodly is Ham, it says in verse 22, checked out checked his dad out while he was naked. Now let's step back a moment and just think about this for a second, okay? Especially the dudes. Any of you ever in your wildest dreams want to see your dad naked? There's just no way, right? And then you add 500 years to his life? Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> But Ham went out of his way to see it. He's in his home, he's with his kids, he's with his wife, And he's like, I think I'll check my dad out naked. It's like, what? Why? Why would you do that? So that's the depravity that we see in Ham. And he doesn't stop there. As perverted as that is, he goes to his brothers and he goes, hey, dad's naked. You guys should check him out. They're like, we are so grossed out by that. We're going to take a blanket and walk backwards. We're not even going to look and cover dad up. And that's what they did. So um, the other two sons, Shem, I think Shem, right? Shem and Japheth, they honored their dad, Hat. Ham didn't. He dishonored his father. So, again, coming back to Noah's time is just like our time, right? You guys, all you got to do is flip the TV on. Any commercial you see, most sitcoms, most anything that you watch, dishonoring the father. And it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. Mainly the, the uh, formula is stumbling fool of a dad with the wife and the children over here rolling their eyes at dad, just kind of tolerating him because he's such an idiot, you know? And that's all we see in our culture from the Nephilim, from the pop culture, from the people. And it's so wrong, so, so wrong. The Bible says that we ought to honor our father and mother so it goes well with us. So if you ever wonder why are things not well with our society, we could start there. We dishonor the men in our culture. We don't give them a place here on this earth, and we don't give them the respect that they deserve. Am I right? As many mistakes as my father's made with me, I still honor him as much as I can, right? Just like in the army, they talk about how you have to salute the uniform or salute the rank, because you may not respect the man, but you got to respect the title. You got to respect his place in society. And we ought to honor our fathers and mothers, right? We got to do that. It's one of the ways that we can heal this land is just by, even starting with us, just to honor our fathers and mothers, right? I hope you guys do that. Don't be like Ham. That's just weird. <laughs> Nobody do that. 
Okay, and then the, the last part of that whole section is, is also kind of weird because, um, and it goes along with that whole thing about honoring father and mother or so that it can go well with you, is that Noah proclaims that Canaan, Ham's youngest son, is going to be just like Ham. A lot of people interpret that as, as Noah cursing Canaan for what Ham did. But really what I see is he's going, hey, Ham, if you're like this, the apple doesn't fall far. Here's another idiom. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, correct? And so he's looking at Canaan. He's like, this guy's going to be just like you. And uh, that proliferates the dishonor and the sin. And that's what's going on there. Last thing that we'll see in this section anyway is that uh, Noah died. I don't know about you. I totally, if I, wasn't, if I didn't already know Noah's story, I was hoping that he'd be like Enoch and he'd just be taken up, right? Because Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God, and then Noah could be taken up like, like Enoch. But that's not the case. Um, it's kind of a sad state of affairs, actually. It's kind of tragic because the last thing that the Bible says about Noah is basically that he got drunk, he lay naked in his tent, he prophesied some really bad things about his youngest, the youngest son of uh, his, one of his grandsons, and then he died. And that's it. And I'm going to read this because I really like it. I really like what I wrote. <laughs> no, just kidding. And it just says, Noah lived a long life. This is kind of a recap of Noah. Noah lived a long life. In the middle of his life, God poured his grace upon him, saved him. Noah then walked and talked with God, obeyed everything that God asked him to do, and he was inclined to worship him. All of these wonderful things. He made some mistakes, and then God took him to be with him, with Jesus, right? And I think... In a lot of ways, I wonder if my life's going to be like that. You know, God came and saved me. I'm making mistakes. I, w- I want to be doing what God's calling me to do. All of these things apply to me too. And they apply to you, I think, as well. So we're going to conclude with that passage in Hebrews. Um, we'll unpack it really fast. I'm not going to go into a whole other sermon. Um, so let's go back and read that again. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And I'm going to just paraphrase that whole thing. You guys ready? Listening still? We're good? Good. My paraphrase for that whole thing, based on what I read about Noah, is because of God's grace, Noah had faith in God. Period. That faith led him to hear God's voice, that warned about a disaster and instructed him to build a ship that would save his household. That grace and faith acted out in Noah's life, preached volumes to the world, condemning the world, really. It was their doom. All of those people died because they didn't listen to Noah's um, preaching and to God through Noah. And ultimately, he inherited all that comes through faith and obedience. That's what I think that whole thing says. I think when I first looked at it, I wanted to put Noah on that pedestal, you know. But I think we took him down a, a notch, as <laughs> some people would say. And um, just kind of saw he can be, his life can exhort us, can be an example to us. He's not an exception. He's an example, as one writer says. Does that make sense? Cool. Last slide. I saw this while I was uh, studying Noah, and I think it really goes well with what we're talking about. These are the metaphors that we see in the Bible for uh, our relationship, people's relationship with God. Um, Potter and clay, shepherd and sheep, master and servant, father and child, friends, and then groom and bride. And I'd like 
I should have put these in parens there. I have them in my notes. Really lovers. That's what Song of Solomon tells us um, with the bride and the groom, that we're lovers, right? And so you can see kind of a progression. I know each and every one of these means something. Um, that's why the Bible has it, potter and clay, where he's created being and all that kind of stuff. But I just want to look at it from the lens of intimacy, right? Not much intimacy between the potter and the clay, right? There, at least there shouldn't be. Um, the potter's not really talking to its clay. Oh, little clay, you're going to become a really fine pot because that means the potter is nuts. So there's not much talking going on. There's not much intimacy between the potter and the clay. A little bit of maybe talking between a shepherd and the sheep. More so like commands like, hey, don't jump into that wolf's mouth. That's bad. You know, and then the sheep going bad and doing it anyways. So it's like kind of like talking a little bit more. The master and the servant, they're talking. They're probably conversing. They're actually people, and they're talking to each other, and that's good. But there's probably a little bit of unholy fear for the servant, right? Because that master could fire him or, in some cultures, kill him, right? So that's kind of like, yeah, we're getting there. Um, But the intimacy is kind of strained right there, right? Then the next two, I think, maybe are at the same level. Father and child, we're getting in there. We're in the household now. This is good. God is our father. We're his child. He's going to talk to us. We can talk to our daddy. It's awesome, right? Friends. Friends talk to friends. We already covered that one, right? But the most intimate out of all of these metaphors is the groom and the bride or the lovers. Intimacy is held for lovers, right? If you are a lover of God, if you love your husband or you love your wife, you are intimate with that person. And that's the metaphor that God gives us. And it's an invitation, I think, to that level of intimacy. And I hope today, as we, this, the worship team comes up and we kind of um, look at, I, I just want you to just kind of meditate on these um, metaphors and ask yourself, which one am I today? Which, which one would be the metaphor or the illustration for my relationship with God today? We look at Noah's life. He was intimate with God He was called to do some amazing things. You're called to do some amazing things, some significant things because of what God wants to do in your life. And I just want you to, as we're we're singing, as we're praying, as you're conversing with God, just ask him, which one am I? And you get that conviction, that peace. Repent if it's kind of like at a lower state than you want it to be, than what God wants it to be. Remember, God wanted Adam and Eve to be his intimate people, to love them, to walk in the cool of the night with them, to walk together. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. That's what he wanted for Noah. That's what he wants for us. Noah walked with God. That's an invitation, not a condemnation. So I hope that you'll walk with him too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, again for this privilege to just share what I've learned uh, from Noah's life. It is just that, an awesome privilege. I feel so humbled to be up here right now and just to be able to pray over all of these um, people that you love. Um, Each one of them was fearfully and wonderfully made in their mother's womb, and you want intimacy with them. You want to be um, bride and groom with them. You want to be lovers. And uh, I pray right now that as people cry out, that your Holy Spirit would come upon them, seal that seed and make it grow in the coming weeks and pray that we would be a holy nation unto you lovers of you and that Calvary Slow would just go forth, be on mission for the kingdom here in Slow and around the world we love you so much 
Amen.